lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Thursday. Welcome to the Steve Dace Show, live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. I am Steve Dace. Todd Erzin and Aaron McIntyre, they are here with me as well. If you would like to join us today, 888-900-3393 is the number. That's 888-900-3393. Steve at stevedace.com is how you can email the program. That's D-E-A-C-E. You can like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash stevedace. Follow us on Twitter at Show. And if you're looking for free clips of this show that you can sample yourself and then share with others, go to youtube.com slash Steve Dace and subscribe there, please. YouTube.com slash Steve Dace. Coming up on today's program, we'll get to Theology Thursday. We're going to finish the series that we have been doing all year with an overview of the New Testament. That's going to finish up here today. Three non-political questions as well. Uh, we had to reschedule him from a couple of days ago, but uh, a mainstay in conservative media for many years. Larry Elder will be joining us at the bottom of the hour. He's got a provocative new documentary on the way. But before we get to all of that, here is Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by... What are we holding on to, Sam? There's some good in this world, Mr. Furl. And it's worth fighting for. We'll start in Richmond, Texas, where 92-year-old Mary Summers brought her car in to fix a flat tire. When the mechanic told her the tire couldn't be repaired and that all the other tires needed to be replaced as well, Mary was understandably dejected because she could only afford to replace the one. Little did she know a Texas state trooper was sitting right behind her listening to the whole conversation. KHOU-TV in Houston has the rest of the story. You can almost hear what he's thinking. Eventually, he can't take it anymore. He gets up, walks over to the counter, and then he leaves. Soon after that, Omar walks back to Mary and tells her all of the tires will be replaced. He said, they're paid for. And I said, who paid for it? And he said, the trooper that was in here. And I, I'm hard to talk about it now because I want to cry because it was just so, so nice, you know, of him to do that. Mary sits in disbelief, replaying what just happened. Her only regret is that she never got to say thank you. We managed to track down the officer who made the extraordinary gift to a stranger. State Trooper Drew Stoner wasn't looking for attention. That feeling in his gut told him he had to do it. And I kept thinking, what if she gets out on the road and, and a tire goes out on her, just kind of falls apart on her and she's out there on the side of the road. <laughs> Now that Mary was getting her tires fixed and we'd identified the mystery trooper, there was just one thing left. Mary still wanted to say thank you. We thought we could make that happen. Are you after me? Maybe. Are you the trooper? I am. (laughs) Come here. (laughs) On Thursday morning, Mary and the trooper were strangers. By the end of the week, close friends. I'm just so thankful for you. In Iowa, high school softball and baseball restarted this week. High school students who have largely spent much of the last few months away from their friends now have an outlet in the form of America's pastime. Last week in Buffalo, New York, when 18-year-old Antonio Gwynn Jr. heard reports of violence, looting, and vandalism, he got some cleaning supplies and got to work cleaning up his streets. Starting at 2 a.m., Gwynn swept and picked up trash for the 
next 10 hours before a group of neighbors showed up, only to find he'd already done most of the work. The story of the teenager's selfless act later reached the ears of resident Matt Block, a 27-year-old, who decided to do this. A 2004 red convertible Mustang. It's Matt Block's pride and joy. I couldn't come to grips with selling it. And this was a good way for me to get rid of it and know someone that gets it is going to appreciate it, I think. So Block is giving the car to Antonio Gwynn. Like, it doesn't feel real. It seems like this is like a movie just going on. Then comes in Bob Bryceland from Bryceland Insurance Agency. They will be covering Antonio's insurance for one year. Oh, I just felt compelled to help him out and uh, just we need to get together our whole city and, and show people how, you know, there's so many good people here. And there's one more thing. Antonio says he's been offered a full ride to Medai College. I literally stopped, pulled over it, and then I started crying, so did my great aunt. <laughs> in other news, and as of the time of this recording, the Earth's position, tilt, and rotation in relation to the sun is still exactly where it needs to be to keep our planet from an ice age or burning up. Also, leading minds still agree our atmosphere is still made up of the perfect mix of oxygen, nitrogen, and other gases so we can keep breathing. Also, Earth's core is still active, powering the magnetic field around the Earth to shield us from harmful bursts of solar radiation. Radiation. UNICEF estimates over 350,000 babies will be born in the next 24 hours around the globe. Moving on, perhaps one of the most amazing components of creation is the human eye, and more yet, the retina. The slight sensitive layer at the back of the eyeball is thinner than a sheet of plastic wrap and more sensitive to light than any man-made film. The best camera film can handle a ratio of 1,000 to 1 photons in terms of light sensitivity, but by comparison, human retinal cells can handle a ratio of 10 billion to 1 over a dynamic range of light wavelengths of 380 to 750 nanometers. It's a part of creation most of us take for granted, except for Gene and Walter Willard, married for 70 years, who were able to lay eyes on each other once more recently after being separated for months due to the virus. Are you feeling alright? Huh? Are you feeling alright? I'm feeling better now. Aww. And finally, the greatest news of them all. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. But God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's what happened while we were away. Aaron's montage brought to you by our good friends over at Tommy John's. Now, now I could tell you about Tommy John underwear and all the stuff about the comfort and the price and um, it's ultra breathable and it's got the no wedgie guarantee. I, I could throw all that stuff in there and all that stuff is true. Here's the best endorsement I can give it though. All right. Not that you asked. I'm actually wearing a pair of my Tommy John underwear today. And I like this product so much that even after they gave it to me for free to sample, I have now purchased it twice more. I've gone back twice more out of my own pocket to purchase more. 
that's how much I love this stuff. All right. So, um, it is, it, it, it's, it's the best underwear I've ever encountered and it's not even close and they've got stuff for chicks too. I can't really give you an endorsement on that, you know, but if it's anywhere near as good as the stuff they do for guys, it's gotta be pretty rad. Okay. So uh, for a limited time right now, you can go to tommyjohn.com slash Steve and get 20% off anything at the site site-wide 20% off right now at tommyjohn.com slash Steve, particularly this time of year. Now with the warmer weather here and the cool cotton fabric, right? And I, you know, uh, just the sweat and those sorts of things. Don't even worry about that stuff anymore. All right. Tommyjohn.com slash Steve to get 20% off site-wide at tommyjohn.com slash Steve. Aaron, that was a very powerful montage. Kind of came out of left field there. But I think it was needed. Yes. And uh, thank you for doing that. I'm, I'm sure I'm going to get plenty of notes in the inbox today from people who also are going to appreciate um, uh, what you did to kind of remind us of the bigger picture that's at play. And it is, it is fitting, serendipitous, providential, that Aaron chose today to give us that reminder. Because outside of the things highlighted in Aaron's montage, there's not a lot of other good news out there right now. In fact, let me give you some news I, I thought I'd never say, at least not on the air, even if I thought it. But we're the closest right now we've ever been to sing another civil war. And I want to introduce you today to the man responsible for putting us on this path because no one is more responsible for it than Chief Justice of the United States, John Roberts. What he has done for these last eight years now is he has made sure that your elections are irrelevant. It doesn't matter who you vote for. It doesn't matter how worked up you get about the most important election of our lifetimes. He has made sure that if you have any disagreement whatsoever with the most radical and frankly insane policy goals of the American left, you don't have a voice in the traditional political process. You can vote all you want. It makes no difference. He has shunned you. He has made sure that you, you don't matter. You don't have a voice. There is no give and take in the process. It's really one party rule. The same side wins, no matter how you vote. Because since we're not going to defy these courts at all. Now, I, I, I come from a state where we did the most historic defiance in American history. We're still the only state ever. We did this a decade ago. I helped lead that effort. We are still the only state ever that threw out three 
state Supreme Court justices because they thought they were their own perpetual constitutional convention. But sadly, that remains still the only time this has been done in American history. And so we live at the mercy of the court. How good and pleasant it is when we dwell together in disunity and praise the court. What this man has done in the last eight years, let me itemize it for you. He saved Obamacare. He rewrote the legislation. President Obama's own attorneys before the U.S. Supreme Court were adamant that the mandate that kept Obamacare afloat was not a tax. It was not a tax. Even though they testified that it wasn't a tax under oath, John Roberts rewrote the legislation in his majority opinion to save Obamacare by saying the mandate is a tax and therefore under the 16th Amendment, government can do whatever the hell it wants to you. You're a ward of the state. If they call it a tax, they can do whatever the hell they want. And there's not a damn thing you can do about it. He then saved Obamacare again a few years later by rewriting and redefining what the term state exchange means. Because see what was happening is a bunch of your Republican governors refused to set up the Obamacare exchanges in their state. So the feds came in and did it instead. Which would make it a federal exchange, not a state exchange. But he rewrote the definition of state exchange to say, even when the feds come into the state, that's a state exchange. That again, the federal government can do whatever it wants. Whatever it wants. Even on cases where he has ruled five to four in your favor, like Masterpiece Cake Shop, Hobby Lobby, he has done so by the thinnest of rationales. For example, in the Masterpiece Cake Shop case, he actually ruled that the reason why he was ruling on behalf of that poor man, Jack, who apparently is the only damn cake baker in the entire mass city of Denver, they've picked on him so often, that the only reason he was ruling in his favor is he thought that the state of Colorado was exclusively doing this out of religious animus. That if they could come up with another reason, other than they just wanted to persecute him for his religion, if they could come up with, a, come up with any other reason, he would happily allow the state to impose its will on Jack's business. So even when you quote-unquote win with John Roberts, the premise of your argument the reason why we believe the things that we do, he doesn't affirm. So the win is still a loss, which is why about a year after Jack won his case at the Supreme Court, the state of Colorado came right back at him again. Because he didn't really win. It was more of a stay of execution. And then what has gone on this week at the U.S. Supreme Court? We've now codified mental illness into law. Gender dysphoria is now a protected class. If you will not sign up for mental illness, if you will deny, if you will not deny male and female, he created them. You're the second class citizen now. If you will not hand over your, your daughter's place on her sports team to a biological male who just ain't good enough to play with the boys, so we decided to try the women instead. You know, like that guy that finished in, what was it, 250th place at the NCAA track meet back in 2018, then decided he felt pretty and won it on the women's side. 
last year, right? So if you won't, if your daughters won't give up their spot on the women's sports team to a biological male, if you will not say up is down, down is up, right is left and left is right, if you will not deny the most basic tenet of creationism, that God has made us in his image, male and female, if you will not affirm mental illness as the law of the land, you now can be persecuted and prosecuted thanks to John Roberts and his court. We lost on sanctuary cities. We lost on guns. This morning, he declared that, yes, it turns out Barack Obama was a king after all. He could just do by a pen and a phone, a mass amnesty, and there's nothing you can do about it. And again, if we're not going to defy these courts, if we're going to treat them as the supreme beings, then essentially every issue that you would go and vote to reelect Donald Trump this fall is off the table. He's rendered this election irrelevant. I mean, I, maybe if John Roberts in the court ruled five to four, Donald Trump should resign and all Republicans should resign. I, I mean, we can't fight the courts, right? So I, I guess they would just all resign then. What he has done over these last eight years, Obamacare was an issue that cost over 1,000 Democrats elections nationwide. Think about that. Over 1,000 Democrats lost elections nationwide after Obamacare became law. When Donald Trump took over, the wave against the Democratic Party because of Obamacare had more Republicans in elected office nationwide than at any point in American history since before the Great Depression. You had Republican governors in Maryland, Massachusetts, and Illinois simultaneously for the first time since Americans sat down over TV dinners to watch Milton Burrow on Sunday nights. That's how unpopular that legislation was. It decimated the Democrat Party. John Roberts saved it twice. And now, under his leadership, another majority Republican-appointed Supreme Court, just like it was a majority Republican-appointed court that gave us Roe v. Wade, and every one of the worst decisions in American history over the last 50 years have come from majority Republican-appointed Supreme Courts. John Roberts has sent a clear message to you. Your opinion doesn't matter. Your vote doesn't matter. What you think is irrelevant. You will all bow the knee. And every tongue will confess that the Supreme Court is Lord. Your opinion doesn't matter. What you think doesn't matter. The votes of 65 million Americans in this last election, gone. Irrelevant. This has sent a clear message to you and I. Unfortunately, and I, I don't say this with joy or glee, but regret, deep, deep regret. See, the reason your founding fathers gave you a political system like this, with all the checks and balances herein, is because they understood over the long arc of history that this was how we were going to have to fight civil war in America, so that we didn't fight it out in the streets so that we weren't a banana republic, that you didn't wake up one morning and say, hey, which general is in charge and whose tanks are those down Main Street? But that, but that we had another mechanism where we could hash out these differences. And that even if you lost, if you felt like you were at least heard, 
And that, and that the winning side recognized that you were a sizable minority, that they dare not risk alienating and offending completely because the blowback would be politically devastating to them. The certain tension kept this thing alive post-Reconstruction. That tension now is gone. The only tension really is, do I still think there's a point to vote for any of these Republicans or not? Because if they're not going to defy the court, I know I'm going to go there and I'm going to lose. John Roberts has made that very clear. You have no relief from one of the branches of this government. And it just so happens to be the one the other two treat as the supreme branch at the moment. Which means you're under him. He, it's, he's King John now. He rules. He decides. He's in charge. Your 65 million votes were irrelevant. He calls the shots. And so now you and I have a choice. And that choice is, do we just keep voting for this facade, participating in a house of cards, or do we take matters into our own hands? It didn't have to be this way. It still doesn't. There is another political party that, you know, it, it, it's, it's their interest allegedly, that keep getting ruled against. You would think they'd have all the motivation in the world to defy this. But if they don't, then King John rules. Long live King John. Gentlemen, your thoughts. That's as important as anything you've ever done. I've said before that We are in a civil war before any of this had come along. I've said that the American Revolution uh, needs to be fully uh, relived again. Uh, uh, We need to have a second one. And I said that before uh, we had heard of a coronavirus or a lockdown. They are literally talking right now about tearing down the Washington and Jefferson memorials. If you don't see that as a promise that, A, this Constitution matters nothing to us right now, and when we get all the power we want, we are going to show you, dialed all the way up to 11, that the American Revolution is over, and that not only is there a civil war, but the bad guys are going to win it, I don't I don't know what else to say. Take them at their word. Thanos is snapping. Not just once. It's a... He's humming. And you guys sit there in reaction to things like this and white paper it to death. And when I say you guys, I t- whatever person out there still claims the banner of Republican or conservative. Listen, it, it's show me the money time. Donald Trump and anybody else. It's about, it's, it's whatever you think you need to do that is radical enough to get the point across that it's a spark that from a, a bad movie, but it, it, it's a point, the spark that creates the flame that uh, creates the resistance from Star Wars. I, it's not, it's really now or never. Your children's entire future depend on it if you want them to live in a free and not a failed state. 
I, I, I don't know. I, I just don't, I don't know what it's going to take. I, I don't know what it's going to take for folks to realize for liberty loving people with, with good, you know, uh, fair minded principles. I just don't understand what it's going to take to realize that this is not the, 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 the fighting judicial supremacy with our own judicial supremacy. And we've talked about this before, not, not talking about gender, constitutionalism, what, what have you. We've talked about this before, but this notion that we can just vote for Republicans to get good judges. I mean, I hear it every time. Every time there's a, a judge appointed to some circuit court, uh, cocaine Mitch for the win again, owning the libs. I, I, I literally see that every time. Oh, we're winning. Not if you're appointing justices like John Roberts or Neil Gorsuch earlier this week. Those aren't those aren't wins. Now, compared to what a, a President Clinton might have appointed, yeah, but that's that. I mean, compared to uh, I don't know, toe jam, uh, foot fungus isn't that bad. I, it, okay, come on. Uh, th- there's no standard here other than than partisan. Let's just be honest about that. The, the same people who are out there this morning, and I see them. Wow, I can't believe I can't believe the Supreme Court did this to us. They really hate Donald Trump. That just means that we need to go vote for Donald Trump again. Imagine if we got two more Supreme Court appointments in the yeah, next four it, years. That's it's a just, cult. Yeah. I don't know what it's going to take. Because here's 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 the fruit, the fruit of of the conservative legal movement, if you will. Uh, one of the blessings of liberty is Drag Queen Story Hour. The same people who are right that, totally down to clown with a John Roberts, totally down to clown with a Neil Gorsuch, totally down to clown with a Brett Kavanaugh. And who knows, maybe in the future, those two will somehow, some way, some, some way be a deciding voice on something that we actually care about. But as you just detailed, it's just that the game is up there, there was no game there was no game it, it was it was uh just vote for republicans essentially all that voting for republicans to get good judges uh did was basically get a bunch of republican votes i mean that it accomplished nothing it was full of sound and fury signifying nothing there, it is absolutely meaningless at this point unless somebody grows a pair and actually stands up to the supreme court it's it's meaningless to to vote at least at a national level everything i've warned about for years wondered if i was going too far if my analysis was too crazy nuts it's like all gone down in like the last two weeks I mean, I don't even know what to say to him going on Hannity last night and kvetching about John Bolton's book, Who Gives a Flying F? We've got major American cities up in flames. Who cares? Who cares? And if you do, I'll just tell you right to your face, you're part of the problem. Yeah, I'm talking about you. Um, There is nobody that would think three seconds about voting for Donald Trump that gives a turd with corns in it about John Bolton's book or even knows about it. But 
I got to believe there's a few people in Fulton County, Georgia that voted for Donald Trump watching the cops walk off the job last night. That kind of thought he was going to defend them against stuff like this. Oh, and I know what you're going to tell me. My inbox, you'll, I won't get it as much as I used to. But there will still be some of you. Well, Steve, you can't do anything because of the media and the courts. Well, then it isn't the most important election in our lifetimes then. You can't have it both ways. If you can't do anything because the media will hate him, and I, by the way, I thought he, didn't he beat the media? I, 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 was, I was assured we beat the media. Wasn't I assured that the media was the less credible and the less impotent or the most impotent of all time? Yes. Or, or is that just our own click porn? Yes. That we pleasure ourselves to, right? Yes. Yeah, okay. Because I was assured that we had defeated the media. I mean, at least I've seen that headline in my Twitter feed and, and my Facebook feed, you know, 75,000 times. Every time Donald Trump speaks, Kaylee McEnany has a press conference every time. I'm told that the media has been defeated again. So I, I, I don't know why we're now suddenly afraid of a media that we've defeated already, but okay. Um, but if, if you can't do anything because of the media and the courts, then, then, then what's the point to any of this then? It can't, you can't tell me it's the most important election of my lifetime and then turn around and tell me he can't do anything because of the media and the courts. Well, it, it can be one or the other. It can be neither, but it cannot both be both. It can't be both. So choose one or choose neither. But ultimately, if you voted for Donald Trump, John Roberts has made sure that your vote is irrelevant. Irrelevant. He has nullified the votes of 65 million Americans. We told you about ExpressVPN before, but now that a lot of us are doing more from home than ever before, we're online more than ever before. So it is more important than ever before to line up with a VPN that you can trust. And ExpressVPN is the one that I use because it doesn't log your data. Uh, A lot of really cheap or free VPNs, how do they make their money? By selling your data to ad companies. Uh, It's also a developed, they've developed a technology called Trusted Server. So it makes it impossible for their servers to log any of your own info. They they put a check and balance on their own servers. Then there's the speed. You can try a lot of other VPNs. Maybe they slow your connection down, especially if you're traveling. That's not the case. You can even still stream HD quality videos with zero lag, courtesy of ExpressVPN. And something that else that sets it apart, uh, it's easy to use. If you're concerned, hey, man, uh, you know. I'm still trying to figure out what my VCR is, is, is blinking 12 o'clock at me. ExpressVPN, you set this thing up in five minutes. A couple clicks, you are done, good to go. And you can do it on all of your devices in your home as well. So protect yourself with the VPN that I use and trust as well. Uh, you can use my link at expressvpn.com slash Steve today. That's expressvpn.com slash Steve. Use that today and get an extra three months for free when you sign up for a one-year package. All right, so your one-year package now becomes a 15-month package at expressvpn.com slash Steve. That's expressvpn.com slash Steve. Our guest this morning has a new movie coming out, a documentary coming out later this month. Here's a preview. Most people are completely oblivious to the history of the Democratic Party. The party of slavery. The history of the Democratic Party. Jim Crow laws. They're erasing 
all of the history of this country. They want to cover up history. The real history, not the revisionist history. If you are educated. Black people have been taught. A narrative that has been created. You're actually miseducated. And that's when I realized I've been lied to. I had been misled. It unraveled everything that I knew to be true. Well, that is certainly a provocative title, but he's used to provocative opinions. That's what's made him a mainstay in conservative media for many years. It's a pleasure to have him with us on the show today. Larry Elder, welcome to Blaze TV. Thanks for being with us today, brother. Good to see you. How are you? Steve, thank you for having me. As Charlton Heston once used to say to me all the time, thank you for letting me borrow your audience. Yeah, there you go. There you go. So the, 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 the documentary is about going after the history of the Democratic Party. And I was actually out in California, your neck of the woods, uh, last weekend working on a, a, another project. And one of the individuals I was working on this with said, hey, can I ask you a question? And I said, sure. And he, and he said, I'm trying to figure out, I have studied the history of the Democratic Party and I am trying to figure out why I'm the, I've never been a Democrat. Why, why, where, where did I become a racist? And we had a long conversation driving down the interstate in SoCal without as much traffic as we're used to seeing out there, by the way, but we had a long conversation kind of resetting that history. So, so how did this get turned around, Larry? When did that occur? Well, it's a good question, and uh, my movie explores the history of the Democratic Party, the history of the Republican Party, and frankly, how the history is mistaught uh, in our government schools. Uh, as you well know, the Democrats were the party of slavery. I think I've, I've counted maybe about uh, 10 or 12 Republicans in the entire country that owned slaves. Uh, it was a Democrat institution. Democrats opposed the 13th Amendment that freed the slaves, the 14th Amendment that made newly freed slave citizens, the 15th Amendment that gave newly freed slaves the right to vote. Uh, the Democrat Party opposed these amendments unanimously. It was Democrats who founded the KKK, and as a percentage of the party, more Republicans voted for the passage of the Civil Rights Act in 1964 than did Democrats. Now, what uh, Democrats say is that in the in the mid-60s, there was this so-called big switch. In mass, all the racists left the Republican Party, uh, the Democratic Party, rather, and joined the Republican Party. The problem with that is this. You look at all of these Democrats in the, in the Senate, Steve, and all of these Democrats in the House who voted against the Civil Rights Act of 64, how many of them switched and became Republicans? One in the Senate, Strom Thurmond, and one in the House, that's it. And if you're a white racist and you're un unhappy that the Civil Rights Act is passed, why would you leave your party and join the party where a greater percentage voted for the act that you despise than the party that you left? It doesn't make any sense. The reason the South became more Republican is because the Democrats became more crazy, uh, more pro-tax, more Roe v. Wade, uh, anti-Vietnam, uh, more pro-union. For all the same reasons that most normal people become Republicans, the South became more Republican. It had nothing to do with racism, but that's what the left tells people, and it's a lie. And I address this lie in my documentary, uh, Uncle Tom. The main thing, though, Steve, is this. All I'm doing is asking people, why is it that people like myself, Candace Owens, Herman Cain, Alan West, uh, Clarence Thomas, Walter Williams, Tom Sowell, can't simply say, wait a second, maybe just maybe we ought not align ourselves with the party of open borders because studies show that unskilled illegal aliens uh, compete for jobs that otherwise would be held by unskilled black and brown urban Americans and puts downward pressure on their wages. Maybe we ought to rethink our allegiance to the party of porous borders. Maybe we ought to rethink our allegiance to the party that does not want to give me choice in school. Steve, I went to an inner city high school called Crenshaw High School. I'm sure you saw the movie Boys in the Hood. Oh, yeah. That Yep. That's my high school. Right now, 3% of kids at my high school can do math at grade level. That's not a typo. 3%. 
And it's a Crip school, meaning the Crip gangs run it. The reason I know that is because Ice-T, the rapper, went to my school 10 years after I did. And he chose the school because he wanted to go to a Crip school. Now, if you're a parent living in a certain geographical radius of that school, you are mandated to send your kid to a school where only 3% of the kids can do math at grade level and a school that's run by the Crips. What responsible parent would do that if he or she had an option? And the answer is nobody would. The Republicans want to give that parent an option. The Democrats don't. Polls show that urban Americans, black and brown Americans want choice. Polls show that white Democrats do not. Now, why are you in the party that's stopping your kid from getting the quality education that you seek? So the, the movie is simply asking, why is it we can't have an intelligent, healthy discussion in America without somebody like myself having a different point of view and being written off as a sellout, and as an Uncle Tom, as somebody hating his own people? And it's not an angry film. It's not a bitter film. It's not a how dare you film. It's a why can't we just have an intelligent discussion? Aren't we free in America to, to think for ourselves? And when we do so, I'm written off as a self-loather? What is wrong with you? That's what the movie asks. Hmm. Given that history, and given the fact that, if, you know, if you want to come out of the, the, the counterculture era and essentially... Yeah, well, what we call liberal media in the 70s and 80s makes what we have now, I mean, look like, you know, right. <laughs> human events, okay? But but coming out of the counterculture, you had like the Washington Times op-ed page, you had human events, right? You had National Review, and that was about it, okay? And so, you know, I, I guess I can understand why for a couple of decades coming out of that narrative being flipped on them, the right had a difficult time countermandering it. But when you look at all of the various infrastructure we have at our disposal nowadays, I mean, I mean, we've got a guy right now, on, you know, on a network you're on a lot. Fox has the number one show. He's got a half million viewers more than anybody else's closest competition who is on the same channel, by the way. All right, he's got a half million viewers more than anybody else. Tucker Carlson does by, by attacking the GOP from the right bringing up a bunch of the cultural issues that they tell us we can't talk about and get and gain an audience and win elections with this stuff, right? I mean, we've got more infrastructure on our side than ever before. So why do we still think that the way to try to flip this narrative and attack it is to an off is to a lot of time a lot of times address these communities with sort of a lighter uh, pale pastel version of what they've already been sold by Democrats. Why is that? Well, the problem is, you're, you're quite right, the availability of getting an alternative view has never been greater. Uh, we've got, uh, you know, your channel, we've got Newsmax, we've got uh, One America Network, we've got Fox, we've got the Washington Times, we've got all sorts of blogs and websites that are run by conservatives. That's the good news. The bad news is the majority of Americans, between 80 and 90 percent of Americans, still get their primary source from a left-wing source, whether it's the New York Times, CBS, ABC, NBC, or Yahoo News, which is an aggregate that primarily uses the same left sources uh, that everybody else does. Mm -hmm. The problem is most people still watch the same left-wing stuff they used to watch before. There's an old line, of course, you can lead a horse to water, and that's the problem. Uh, uh, we have our access, what I call the access of, in, of indoctrination, Hollywood, media, and academia, and they control everything. Uh, government schools are teaching people uh, that America is a racist country that's, that's built on exploiting people. Hollywood, same theme. Media, same theme. So despite the fact that we have alternative sources now, and that's good news, you still have to require people to find and have the energy and the aptitude and desire to find those. Most people are just kind of passive consumers of news. And if you're regular listening, listeners of ABC, NBC, CBS, you combine all three of those uh, viewerships, you're talking about almost 30 million people. That's still substantially more uh, than the highest rated show on Fox. Uh, so we're still overrun by 
the left wing media. And the two most important newspapers in the country arguably are the New York Times and the Washington Post, Steve. The Washington Post has never endorsed a Republican president, and the New York Times has not done so since 1956. So this is what we're up against. And there's a book called Left Turn. A friend of mine did it. His name is um, uh, uh, Tim Grossclose. He teaches um, at George Mason University. And he, for the first time, tried to quantify the effect of the left-wing media. And he estimates that because of the unfairness and unbalanced nature of the media, uh, the average Republican has a deficit of between eight and 10 points. But for the left wing media, the average state, he estimates, would vote the way Texas does, which is about eight to 10 points in favor of Republican. So this is what we have to overcome. So let's fast forward. Let's let's go to late September to mid-October, okay? Because you raise some very valid points there. But the largest audience anybody has are those presidential debates, all right? I think, in, I think for example, the smallest audience we've had in the last couple of cycles is one of the Obama-Romney debates, 91 million people tuned in, all right? That, that's, that's an astronomical still amount of people. So if you sat down with Donald Trump, we've said, hey, Larry, I, I, I'm gonna give you 15 minutes in my debate prep. And these are things I need to say to, to get 10, 15, you know, you can get 10, 15, 20% of this vote. Because I think a lot of people that haven't worked in elections like I have have no idea that if the Democratic Party was reduced to 85% black support, it could not win an election of consequence anywhere in America. That's how reliant it is on this voting block, right? So mm-hmm. if, you, if you could sit down for 15 minutes and Jared Kushner's not in the room. And Donald, and you, you went on one with Donald Trump, all right? And, and, and given your life experience and all the things you just talked about, what would you say, hey, these are the two or three things you need to make sure in front of 100 million people, unfiltered, you one-on-one with the American people, as a contrast to your Democratic opponent, you need to say what? Uh, I would say that if the route to the middle class is getting a quality education, who is standing in your path? Republican Party or the Democratic Party. I would talk about the fact that if you look at teachers with school age kids who are public school teachers in Philadelphia, Chicago, LA, the average family, only 10% of the American family have their kids in private school. Only 6% of black families do. However, when you look at public school teachers working in towns like Philadelphia, Chicago, LA, those with school age kids, 44% of Philadelphia teachers have their own kids in private school. 39% of Chicago public school teachers have their own kids in private school. 28% of LA uh, public school teachers have their own kids in private school. Now that is the equivalent of opening up a restaurant and saying, come on in, just don't eat the food. That's the first thing I would tell them to say. The second thing I would quote the study made by Harvard economist named George Borjas, who's probably, Steve, done more work on the impact of legal and illegal immigration than maybe any other scholar. And he said, there's no question that unskilled illegal aliens uh, compete for jobs that would otherwise be held by unskilled black and brown Americans and puts downward pressure on their wages. And the third thing I would talk about uh, is the economy. I would talk about the fact that I have ushered into uh, the best economy uh, for blacks in history. How did I do it? By lowering taxes. How did I do it? By taking the burden off of job creators, many of whom happen to be black job creators in your own community. So for those three reasons alone, I would argue that I represent the best way forward for America, the best way forward for black America in particular. Hmm. What are the chances you think he would do that? You know, Steve, uh, there was a mayor of L.A., the last Republican mayor we had, 
And he and I went to the same law school. He contacts me and asked me to come down and give him some advice on how he can do better in the black community. This is a guy who, as a private uh, citizen, gave a lot of money to the inner cities, donated computers to the inner cities, and still didn't get squat in terms of votes from the black community because he was a Republican. And I said, here's what I would do. I would have a press conference and I would say, racism is no longer a major problem in America. It is in your head. You are causing this. I would talk about a, a, a study that was done in 1997 by Time Magazine and CNN. They talked to black teens and white teens. And Steve, they asked them, do you think racism is a major problem in America? Not too surprisingly, they both said yes. But then they asked black teens, follow-up questions. Do you think racism is a big problem, a small problem, or no problem in your own daily life? 89% said no problem in my own daily life. In fact, more black kids than white kids said failure to take advantage of available opportunities is a bigger problem than racism. That was 23 years ago. Uh, this is now 2020. Drop it. Work hard. Get an education. Look at the graph showing how much black kids spend each day studying versus white kids versus Asian kids. And that's the problem. It is no longer a country of bigots. It is now a country of opportunity. Nobody is saying that racism has gone away. But for, for crying out loud, you have 330 million Americans. You're going to have some nutballs. 10% of the American people believe Elvis is still alive. And about 5% believe if you send them a letter, you will get it. So Nirvana <laughs> is not an option. But is racism stopping anybody willing to work hard, avoid making bad moral mistakes, willing to invest in himself? Hell no. This is America for crying out loud. Larry, when does the film come out? How can our audience make sure they catch it? It comes out on the 19th. That's Friday the 19th. And you can see it on UncleTom.com. You can also get Uncle Tom merch. Be, be the first person in your hood to wear an Uncle Tom t-shirt, Steve. <laughs> oh, uh, so Larry's not only trying to educate you, he's trying to get you fired from any job you would ever want to apply for at the exact same time. Yeah, and, and perhaps assaulted on the street. Wear, wear, wear your mega cap and your Uncle Tom t-shirt. People will get out of the way. Make People sure you all, hey, and, and not coincidentally, make sure you've got a concealed carry if you do both of those things too, probably, as well. You have the social distance. People will get out of your way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Great stuff, Larry Elder. It's been a pleasure and an honor having you with us, brother. I've watched and, and heard your stuff for years. And really, it's a pleasure having you with us. Thank you for joining us. Anytime, Steve. Thank you for having me. You bet. Todd, I know you're about ready to get your concealed carry, right? Oh, yeah. Day one, Uncle Tom shirt and a MAGA hat. What do you think? Whatever it takes. Just to, just to see if, just to see if, the, if uh, the, the, the training you got with that weapon, if it actually, uh, if it actually works out. That's yeah. one, you would find out very quickly, you don't would. you think? You would. Nothing, and I mean nothing short of the gospel, gives me more hope than the mere existence of people like Larry Elder and others that you find through social media. The courage that they are showing in this moment Yes, I'm black, but there's people out on the street that do not have uh, uh, Larry's pedigree in terms of a broadcast pro. They're out there going to the woke mob in their face, and they're just saying, "I am yes, I'm black, but I am free. I am a man. I am a woman. I am an American. I will not be your caricature. I, it gives me hope beyond words. You know why that is? It's because they're saying with a lot more words what we talked about yesterday. No. Yeah. I ain't anybody's victim. I won't comply. Yeah, I won't comply. We'll come back. Theology Thursday will lead off hour two. Next.
And we are back with Hour 2, live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. Steve Dace here alongside Todd Erzin and Aaron McIntyre. 888-900-3393 is the number. Steve at stevedace.com is how you can email the program. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. And you can also check us out and subscribe at youtube.com slash Steve Dace. If you subscribe to the podcast, thank you. If you're a podcast listener, if you haven't done that, please do so. But if you do subscribe to the podcast, please take the next step and leave us a five-star review. We need as many of those as we can get. It helps the show to grow. I'm not exactly sure how. I'm just assured that that is the case. Thank you to the thousands of you that have left us five-star reviews already. Maybe you can leave us seven or eight more. I don't know if that's allowed, but let's give it a shot. All right. Coming up here at the bottom of the hour, three non-political questions. And, are, you know, have you considered that the same thing might have happened to your dog's food that has happened to our food? Right. We're all taking a ton of supplements nowadays. Right. And the reason why is because a lot of the things we need, the vitamins, nutrients, minerals, uh, digestive enzymes, the probiotics, the prebiotics, a lot of the things that we need from our food the most has been taken out of it. So it can be mass produced and mass consumed and then have a long shelf life at the exact same time. And if you put all those living organisms, if you leave them in there, well, then the food won't last for as long. It'll spoil and they can't keep up with demand. Well, we compensate for that by taking a bunch of supplements. Same thing goes with our, our dry dog food for our pets as well. That kibbles and bits the dog loves, it's also had all those things stripped out of it as well. That's where Rough Greens Vitasmart comes in. Um, it is not a dog food. It's a premium dog food supplement that you, it's a powder you sprinkle on the food your dog already likes. And apparently it makes them like it even more. At least that's the case at our home with our dog Cap. Uh, he will sometimes let his food sit all day. Mix in the Rough Greens VitaSmart. It's gone in five minutes. So I can't attest to how well it tastes, but I can attest to how well he thinks it tastes. All right. And it puts all that stuff back in your dog's food that, that it needs for the healthy skin and coat, digestive health, uh, joint improvement, all that cool stuff as well. So if you want to see your dog thrive again, take the 14-day Jumpstart Challenge today for just $14.95. That's all it costs to get you started, $14.95 for two weeks. And you can take advantage of that at roughgreens.com slash blaze. That's R-U-F-F, that's how they spell it, for roughgreens.com slash blaze. Let's get to Theology Thursday. And we're going to finish a series we've been doing throughout uh, this year. And it it's based on a class that uh, my wife and I have been taking at our local church on the New Testament. It's kind of a introductory seminary level class. You can actually get seminary credit for completing it and then a certificate and everything else. And so I thought it would be fun as, as we went through this kind of New Testament overview 101. I thought it would be fun to kind of share because part of what I have to do in this class is I've got to write an essay um, every single week about something that was in the reading or we discussed, et cetera. And so I thought it would be fun throughout the course of Theology Thursday here to each week share with the audience what it is that I was writing my essay about. We would discuss it. And we've gone through 15 of these, and now we're at the final one, Lesson 16, as we get to the end of the New Testament. And this is the question that I answered for the very final essay. The question I answered was, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ what are the character qualities of a disciple? What are the actions of a disciple? You know, I thought I would take on lighter fare. <laughs> I thought I'd kind of coast here at the end. Not so much. So I think, first of all, we've to def- we got to define what, what disciple means. Right? You have to define, we're constantly having to define terms. 
nowadays. The best definition of disciple I have ever heard comes from Eugene Peterson. And he wrote the paraphrase, The Message. And he defined discipleship, and I want to get the quote right here, as, quote, long obedience in the same direction. So there's times you're up, there's times you're down. There's times maybe you stay down longer than you should. But if we looked at the long arc of that story, of that testimony, there may be some ups and downs, but would it be headed in the right direction? Would it be headed in the same direction? Would there be some times you kind of reversed and went the other way? So you have ups and downs. Notice that the definition is not long, perfect obedience in the same direction. That's not what it says. But long obedience in the same direction. So there might be some places where you're like, uh, I can't believe I did that. No, oh, I blew it again and again. But over the course of time, despite the ups and downs, are you going in the same direction? And I think the precise wording here is important. I mean, if you're a believer, you have, you have the Holy Spirit actively at work in your life, but you're still in a mortal shell. So we are still prone to temptation. We're still going to fall. We're still going to fail. Sanctification isn't the absence of adversity. Now, what does that mean? That's a fancy stained glass window term for after your conversion, the work the Holy Spirit does in your life to make you more like Christ. That's what it means, right? So the, salvation is your eternal security. Sanctification is the change in your character and integrity. What does it mean now? Now that I believe this, right? As St. Peter writes in one of his epistles, you know, what kind of people ought we to be, right? Or as Francis Schaeffer wrote, how now shall we live, right? So that's, what sanctification answers is that question. Since this is, this is the new matrix, this is the new wiring, I've taken the ultimate red pill here. So what does that mean? How do I live this out? And, and I've already proven in my life, I can't. That's why I needed a conversion in the first place because I, I can't do this on my own. I'm going to fail. So what's the process by which this new power at work in my life molds me, shapes me, alters me, changes me. What does that look like? That's what sanctification means. And sanctification does not create an absence of adversity, but the means by which you can persevere through it. That doesn't mean that we are disposers of what Bonhoeffer made this phrase famous, cheap grace. Or antinomian, that's the fancy theological stained glass window term for now that I'm saved, I can just live however I want because I'm eternally forgiven and, and, and I can do whatever I want. I can, I can defecate on this grace that God paid a very high price through his son to grant me. That's not what it means. It means that God can walk and chew gum at the same time. So while there is now no condemnation, for those who are in Christ, that's what Paul writes in the New Testament. No condemnation. That means we have escaped eternal judgment because of what Jesus has done for the remission of our sins at the cross. Okay? So while we can escape eternal judgment for that, 
and I'll, I'll even go to the cross to draw this distinction in a moment, all right? That doesn't mean there are no longer consequences for our actions. So let, let's go to the cross itself. Jesus is flanked by two men at the cross, two criminals. One of them is basically resigned to his fate, unrepentant. The other is repentant. He even says, hey, we deserve this. He recognizes I'm bad. I had this coming to me. I, I earned this, right? The scriptures say the wages of sin is death. And you've heard me point this out to you in past Theology Thursdays. The wor- using the word wage as opposed to penalty is important. Because the, the, the word penalty would seem to, at the very least, imply that God is like a Santa Claus, making a list, checking it twice. He's got, a, he's got a long list of your sins, and he's looking forward to punishing you for them. Except Satan does that. And what does that word mean? What does the word Satan mean? Accuser. The enemy is looking to, to itemize your sins. He's looking to tempt you into them and then hold them against you. He's looking to catalog them. God is looking to free you from them. Other than that, they're like totally the same. Which means they're not really the same at all. And it goes to the distinction I drew yesterday between what, 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 what does the race cult, what does it want? It wants to keep recataloging your sins. Keep rebooting your guilt. Keep reminding you of your bad. You can't ever be delivered. You can't ever repent enough. There's not enough there. No amount of shame, shaming or guilt or kneeling. You can't ever be freed from the guilt, according to the race cult. So you just have to have your guilt reassessed over and over and over and over again. Folks, that is how the devil operates. That's, that's, that, these people are accusers. They're not healers. This is demonic. They're not interested in healing America's racist past. They're interested in toppling America for it. Condemning America for it. That's what they're interested in. That's why you can't ever be restored. You can't ever repent enough. It's never enough. I mean, I saw last night Mike Gundy's pulling a Drew Brees now. He's on like his fourth interview now. Dude, now he did one with ESPN. And you know what, man? Not this, worth, he's not yes, worthy this of is, having a mullet. This is where I'm... <laughs> <laughs> he's not. This is where I go. I punch his pilot now and just like, he's all yours. But God doesn't say the penalty for your sin is death, but the wages... This is a very important distinction. How do you acquire a wage? What, what is, what, what is you, what, the word wage is usually associated with what? Work. You acquire a wage because you earned it. It's what you're worth. The worker is worth is higher. You have earned this. So the penalty for your sin is not God waiting to lash at you. It's what you have brought upon yourself. It is your own calamity. You have done this. You are guilty. By your own actions. That you committed of your own will. You're not a victim. You did this. You earned it. Like the old John Houseman commercials. 
earned it. You earned it. You have it coming. You worked hard for it, man. Own that poo. Own it, man. Own it. You worked hard for it. Claim it. And the enemy wants to just remind you of this over and over and over again. God is trying to free you from your sin, not condemn you for it. The enemy just wants repeated condemnation. And you see this play out at the cross. One man on one side of Christ at the cross is all in for condemnation. The other man wants deliverance. He even admits I'm guilty. Jesus gives him deliverance of his sin. Says, by today you will join me in paradise. Today this will happen. Now, however, does that man, while freed of the eternal condemnation for his guilt that he has earned, he has earned this. By his own admission, he earns this. He says, we have earned what's coming to us. We deserve to be up on this tree. We're bad. This man, though, he, this other man here next to us has done nothing wrong. We have, though. Now, Christ grants him freedom from condemnation. He says, today you'll be with me in paradise. But then he does he then turn around and say, free this man, bring him down off the cross. The death penalty is bad. No. No, the punishment is carried out. The consequences are real. It's just the condemnation no longer is. The wrath of God has been satisfied. But the justice of God remains. There will be consequences. So if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. You will not be condemned by God to hell. You will not be. But if you act outside of God's will for your life, there will still be consequences for this. Don't confuse condemnation with consequences. When a city condemns a building, that means they're like, the building's dead, done, over, annihilated. That's why they don't do it very often. It's rare. But if you still don't keep your building up to code, will you get fined? Will you get fined for that? Of course. Yeah. Will people decide, maybe I don't want to rent from you because other buildings are better? Will you lose money, market share? Indeed. Indeed. So will you still suffer consequences? Even if the city has not condemned your building, will you still suffer consequences for abusing the privilege and honor of owning that property? Yeah. Yeah. It's that's, a version of laws of nature and nature's, nature's God. God. Yes, that's the distinction I'm trying to draw here. And I think we have completely, in a Western culture, we have lost this distinction. But it is vitally important. We have confused consequences with condemnation or conflated them even. Well, since I'm forgiven, nothing else matters. That's not true. Nothing else is more important. That is true. Nothing else is more important. That is true. You're going to be dead a lot longer than you're ever alive. So nothing else is more important than your eternal destiny. That is true. Doesn't mean, though, that nothing else is important. Nothing else is as important, but it doesn't mean nothing else is important. You will be held accountable for your actions. For example, Peter did not cease being Christ's disciple with his futile attempts to thwart God's redemptive plan, not once but twice. 
Well, I won't let nothing happen to you, Lord. And Jesus looks at him and says, get behind me, Satan. And then when the stuff starts happening to Jesus, he tries to get in the way and not have it happen. Cuts off even one of the soldier's ears. He didn't cease being Christ's disciple. But there were consequences for that actions, for both of those actions. He was rebuked by Christ both times. One, the first time, harshly. I don't know about you, but get thee behind me, Satan. You're literally acting. You're doing the devil's will. That's a pretty, that is, that's the, that is the Christ equivalent to your mom looking at you and say, I couldn't be more disappointed right now. I mean, that's the harshest rebuke you can get. And Peter received it. Similarly, for me as a public Christian figure, if my marriage were to fail, I would not lose my salvation. God would accept my sincere repentance. However, I, I might lose some of my own testimony. I might lose some of my own support. There would be consequences, right? Oh, yes. Yeah. Dis disciple is the root word of discipline. Thus, what a disciple is really doing is changing his definition of discipline to who or what is discipling him. That's why it's long obedience in the same direction. What direction are you going in? Are you becoming more like Christ? That would, that's what we would say in the Christian worldview. But that's what discipleship means. What are you, what or whom is the standard you are disciplining yourself by? The world, the culture, a political party, a system, a racial identity, a sexual desire, a mental illness. What is it you have decided that you will discipline yourself by? Because you can claim to believe all you want. You can claim to believe in all you want. But ultimately, you are whom or what you discipline yourself by. Ultimately. That's what Christ means in Matthew when he says, you know, people are going to come to me on the, on the day of judgment. They're going to say, we did this, we did that. And I'm like, depart from me, doers of iniquity. I don't know who in the heck you are. Into the lake of fire with you. Because you didn't do those things to discipline yourself by me. You did those things to discipline yourself for other things, but not for me. So then what are the character qualities of a disciple? Well, if you're being a disciple, that means you're living by the Spirit. More times than not. Again, long obedience, not perfect. And that would mean, obviously, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Are those things more prevalent in your life than they were before your conversion? Did I say perfect? No. I said prevalent. Are they prevalent? And by the way, those are the terms as God has defined them. When Paul rebukes the false teacher in Acts as a son of the devil, he is still acting under self-control. Not, your, not, not the current culture's definition of self-control. When Jesus storms into the temple and turns over the money changers and fashions a whip of cords, uh, he is operating under self-control. So it, it's not our definition, but God's. He determines what these things mean. What are the actions of a disciple? It's simple, but not easy. Jesus said, if you love him, we will obey. He taught us to pray that God's will would be done on earth 
in our own lives as it is in heaven. Therefore, our actions should be Christ-like, but that should be defined not by the false Christ celebrated by this world who offends no one ever, some hippie of antiquity randomly spewing sentimental cliches and life coach speak. No, the Christ that is the ruler of God's creation. The Christ who rolled the stone away, who alone is qualified to write our names in the book of life, who will return one day with a robe dipped in blood and a sword in his mouth and a tattoo that says King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That one. He determines that. Now, this brings us back to Peter. He was rebuked, or rebuked. He, he failed. He was held accountable. He was also bold. He was also courageous. And he also finished his race on an upside-down cross. Upside-down. In other words, there were dips. There were imperfections. There were disappointments. Deep disappointments. At one point, Peter is even rebuked by Paul in front of the other apostles. There were moments that made you wince. However, when you look, now that, we, now, that, now that the life of Peter is over, what do we see now as we come to the end of it? When we get to the end, what do you see? Long obedience in the same direction. And that's our goal. Maybe you're at a place right now where you're like, I have failed, I have, I, have, I have fallen, and I think I can't get up. There may be a day when the strength of men fail. But today does not have to be that day. It doesn't have to be that day. Get up. Take a step in the same direction. Have a long-term view. When I get to the end, this isn't the end. This is not the end of the story. It may not be your best chapter. You may have some consequences coming your way. This might not make the highlight tape at the wake, okay? But it's not the end. When you get to the end, was there long obedience in the same direction? Did you finish the race? See, the world says it's not about the, the destination, but the journey. It's the other way around. It's all about the destination. It's all about the destination. If the journey doesn't end with, well done, good and faithful servant, you're not going to like its ending, <laughs> right? So it's all about the destination. It's all about the destination. It's not about the journey. The journey can suck. Why, why does Mother Teresa give her life to the caste system in Calcutta? The true deplorables. Why did she do that? Because she was... All in on the journey? No. Because it was about the destination. It was about hearing, well done, good and faithful servant. 
servant. We serve. He rules. We serve his interests. He doesn't serve ours. And it was in his interest that she do so. So she served. And I'm confident at the end, heard those words. Well done. Good and faithful servant. It's really all about the destination. That's what it's all about. The journey will have its ups and downs. The details can be, eh, let's not tell the kids that part of it. Okay? Leave that part of it out. But what was the destination? If there's long obedience in the same direction, you will arrive at your desired destination. But we can get bogged down in the details, man, of the journey. Ever heard the saying, the devil's in the details? No one ever says the angel's in the details. God's in the details. No, no, the devil's in the details. Because the details, man, are we're imperfect. We do stupid stuff. We make reckless decisions. That at the time, we're so overcome with our urges and we're just like, I have to satisfy this urge and if I don't, I can't wake up in the morning. And then you satisfy that urge, wake up in the morning and realized that was really stupid and wasn't worth what I risked to satisfy it. And then have to deal with the consequences, right? Don't, don't tell me I ain't preach, I'm preaching to nobody in this audience. Okay. Everybody in this audience a virgin on their wedding night? That's what I thought. So, we're going to have dips. And the, some of the dips are going to be just dumb. Really dumb. 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 All are like sheep. We're compared by the, the, the most powerful and compassionate being in this universe to the dumbest mammals in our phylum that he ever created. That's, that, he, 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 on one hand, he tells us we're made in his image, and then he turns around and says, but in your current sorry state, you are, you are the dumbest mammals, and the dumbest beings in your phylum. You're as dumb as sheep. So there's got to be dips. I think, I think focusing on the journey is what gets us in trouble. We start thinking everything's got to be positive. Everything has to be pleasurable, satisfying. If, if this moment in my marriage does not emotionally fulfill me, that means the whole marriage must be shot. Stuff like that. If my job is not rewarding me at this particular moment, it must mean I'm in the wrong line of work. I should walk away from all the tenure and everything else I built up at that company and just walk away from it because I'm unsatisfied at this moment. No, 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 no. It's not about the journey and it's not about the details, folks. It is all about the destination, having a long-term, big-picture view. And I'll speak only for myself. The dumbest decisions I have made since my conversion have all come from when I was only thinking of that particular moment and not about the larger picture. Gentlemen, you have any thoughts? Yeah, that from my uh, evangelical friend right there is just a mic drop on the notion of uh, faith without works is dead. Listen, it's, faith is an action word. You th that definition, can you give it exactly to me again that we started Long off obedience with? Long in obedience in the same direction. O yeah. o obe obeying is an action word. There is a doing. Some kind of doing. You you're, not silent, uh, you're not sitting there your whole life going, oh, no, not like that. 
we are enfleshed. We are incarnate. We are in space and time. Moving forward on that line, we are doing. That, th that's the whole point. And, and, yeah, and often your work suck, just like Steve said. But it's a, a, you must answer the bell in big ways and small every single day. I have this conversation with my children when, uh, uh, when we pray. The opportunities are always there for great acts of faith and subservience. Action. Even if they're not, stories won't be told and songs won't be sung about them. In your day, you have no idea what act of faith that is witnessed in the life of another or uh, it, it bestows a grace on another will make miraculous tides in their life. Faith is an action word. There's no way around it. You got to get right with that. All right? It's amazing how many times still I uh, see on Twitter, and Steve only gets it, when people are still confused why that's back there. Why Joel Osteen is back there? Because that's not faith. And Steve wants you to remind you of I'm that. I'm trying to trigger you. That's why I've kept it there yes. all those years. Yeah. And it's triggered a lot of people, yes, fortunately. Yes. Yes. <laughs> All right, we'll come back um, and get to three non-political questions when we return here. Live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. Stay tuned. Working from home is driving up the worst kind of cybercrime. It's called home title theft, and it's because we're doing it all at home right now. Working, banking, video conferences, even meal deliveries, shopping. That means more of our data is online, more exposed than ever before. Cyber criminals are targeting our homes with that data because they want the money that you have invested in your home by taking out loans against your equity. The crime is called home title theft. The FBI is warning homeowners, hey, they could be coming for you. Home Title Lock is how you can protect your home from these cyber thieves. Your home's legal title is kept online where these thieves find it, forge your signature stating you sold your home to them. And then they take out loans in your home and leave you with all of that debt. Your bank can't protect you. Neither can your homeowner's insurance. But Home Title Lock will put a virtual barrier around your home's title. So protect your home right now. Go to HomeTitleLock.com and register your address to see if you're already a victim. Use the promo code STEVE for 30 free days of protection to help get you through this crisis while you're there. HomeTitleLock.com. That's promo code STEVE at HomeTitleLock.com. Let's get to three non-political questions. We all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? question of destiny. Some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on the Steve Day Show. Yes, a departure from the reality of getting stabbed in the back and kicked in the uh, butt multiple times every week. It the is non-gender specific anatomy parts. Exactly. Yes. yes. Uh, three non-political questions on the Steve Day Show. First question for you. What's the best and worst food you've ever made for yourself? Best and worst food I've ever made for myself. Um, the best thing I make is... A uh, is a homemade cavatelli recipe I got uh, from my mom, but I make it even better living here than I do anywhere else because here we have Graziano sausage. 
which I've it's been all over the country. It, it is the best yeah. Italian sausage I've ever had. It is not. It's not just a local overrated thing. It's no. legit good. No, it, it uh, often emulated, never duplicated. And it, listen, the cavatelli is still great with any you know really good Italian sausage, but the the Graziano's just takes it to a different level. So that's kind of my go-to dish when it's my turn to cook is uh, I make a, uh, a cavatelli that's really good. I've made it for outings and, you know, corporate functions and stuff in the past. That's, that's my go-to. For whatever reason, I cannot make, and, and, I, and I just, well, I'll throw another thing too. My kids would probably tell you it's my French toast. So I can't, you know, one of the cool things I got from, from not everything I learned from my stepdad was bad, but one of the cool things I got from Dave was how to make French toast. Now, the, I'll, I'll give you the secret, okay? You put nutmeg in with the cinnamon. Nutmeg in with the cinnamon. And it tastes like uh, eggnog. It takes it to a, to, yes, to a totally different level. Now, if you just want to cheat, I do this sometimes at Christmas time. I'll just buy extra eggnog and use that for the French toast batter. You can do that too, okay? But it, but nutmeg with the cinnamon in the batter takes it to a different level. So my my kids would probably say my French toast is my thing, but I would probably go with the cavatelli. Um, I can't make pancakes though. I don't know why, and I love them, right? I, I mean, I used to love when we would go out to, on a Friday night, kind of the day's family staple is, you know, we went to Denny. I went to Denny's on a Friday night, probably every Friday night of my life for like a period of five years as a kid. And I always got the grand slam breakfast, you know, breakfast for dinner. I love breakfast for dinner. I love pancakes. It's why the, the, the kids can get me to agree to go to Cracker Barrel a few times a year. Not, and it's not even personal against Cracker Barrel. I just feel 20 years older every time I walk in there and I'm like, I'm not ready to feel this old yet. You know, it's nothing personal. It just makes me feel like I'm that much closer to death. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Nothing personal. Yeah. But the reason they can get me to do a few times a year is they make some of the, it's like they make a perfect pancake there. The pancakes they make there, the crispy edges and everything else, I just can't do it. I can't make it. Every time I, if I get the crispy edges right, then um, it's undercooked or it's or it's burnt. If I if I, if I don't overcook it, then the doughy it's still doughy in the middle. I cannot make pancakes. I've never fi- been able to figure it out. I'm terrible at it. Uh, I'm good at making any number of uh, soups and chili which, you know, fall, winter, perfect timing. And I love doing it. And I like doing it by uh, feel, which is the, which leads me into my worst one, like baking. I, my wife and I've got four daughters and they love baking, but it's, you know, the, some of it's memorized for them now, but there's a, you know, you, you follow this many cups of this. I, I like whenever somebody, something has to be seasoned though, in my family, it's, it's just, it's me and it's like Rodney Dangerfield, like doing this and this, this, because I just love <laughs> just, you know, yeah, that looks about right. And it turns out tasting great. And so it's, uh, that's pretty much my jam. It's less specific than you, but it's that line of demarcation. I, I just like the soup is just like, let's throw it in there and see what we can do. And what can't you do? The baking. I said, oh, you, I don't, you like said I that. My bad. Like, you said yeah. that. Yeah, my bad. Okay. Uh, so the best food is is probably chili. The, the way I make it, and I only do it once or twice during the football season. Otherwise, it's just little Smokies in the slow cooker. But I get I I stay up until like eleven o'clock midnight on Friday night making 
all of the ingredients for chili to throw into the slow cooker that way. And I'll put it on low, so that way, by about halftime of the first wave of games on Saturday, it's ready to go. I get my chips out, and it, you know it's all ready to go. But the way I make it is I do hot sausage, like breakfast sausage. Just basically uh, brown that, hot sausage, and then another pound of, uh, of beef. So a lot of meat. A lot of beans and then very, very spicy. Very, very spicy. You cannot underscore that enough. Very spicy. Worst food I've made. Uh, I'm, it's, it's probably recency bias, but I got like a six pound brisket because I got a smoker. My, my, or my wife got me a smoker for my birthday back in February. So we've been using that smoker a ton over the last few months. And I've been getting better at it, but I think I bit off more than I could chew. This has been about a month and a half ago or so. I got the six pound brisket. And I'm like, oh man, I'm finally going to do like a big, legit piece of meat smoke a, a nice big hunk of meat and it's brisket one of my favorite cuts of meat and i'm thinking oh man i'm gonna go down and see my parents tomorrow i'll bring him a hunk of uh, a smoked brisket and man i've got six pounds brisket forever i was even thinking about texting you guys hey guys you want some brisket um yeah basically ruined it so that was that was that was fun i was able to maybe maybe make use of about a quarter of it so hmm. not super good i've never tried to make brisket I just know I really like it when other people make it for me. I like other people's brisket a lot. Yeah. yeah it might be like one of my favorite meats right now, if not my favorite one. Yeah. Uh, number two, what's on your Mount Rushmore of Steven Spielberg films? I've got to remember because I that sometimes forget what he's produced, so, what he's directed. I've got a list here. Let me, yeah. let me, let so me. We got look E.T. It up. Jaws, Jurassic Park, Schindler's List. All right, Schindler's List has to be on there. Raiders of the Lost Ark Saving has to be Private on there. Saving Private Ryan. Because those are both in my all-time... I mean, those are two of my all-time favorite movies. Minority and, Report. Um, let me see. What else? All the Indiana Jones movies. The Terminal. Uh, do I have to... I'm wondering, do I put... Um, Flags of Our Fathers. Letters from Iwo Jima. Yeah, there's a... I'm not, not surprisingly, there's a lot of really good movies in here. Um... Especially if you include the ones he's produced. Are we just talking about the films he's directed? Yeah. All right, so just the ones he's directed. All right, so Schindler's List is on there. Raiders of the Lost Ark is on there for sure for me. Um, I guess I would probably put Close Encounters of the Third Kind on there. Um, and then I'm down to what would be the fourth. Wow. You know what? I'll go Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade as the fourth one. So two Indiana Jones. I'll put Jones two movies? Indiana Jones on there. I'll put Schindler's List on there, and I'll put uh, uh, what was the fourth one I said? The other one. Um, uh, Schindler's, Schindler's List and List. Close Encounters. Close Encounters. I'll put Close Encounters of the Third wow. Kind on there. I love that movie as a kid. My computer's all bogged down, so I can't see the list. But based on the things you've said, uh, I, you have to have Schindler's List, and you have to have. An Indiana Jones movie. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, I think, and I, this is where I know we disagree. I, I ET e e is it. I think it's the most overrated movie uh, of all time. That's just yeah. apocalyptically wrong. I, I've, it's, I've never been able to watch it to all the way through without falling encounters asleep. over ET in the Spielberg canon. I just fall asleep. I have fallen asleep every time I tried to watch it. Yeah. I've, wow! I don't think I've ever seen it all the way through. I've seen the whole thing several times, but usually I've got to go back and watch a part of it later. It's excellent. Three and fourth. This is personal. It 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 underwhelmed, but I, I think it's fantastic. Is that like the most Matt Walsh take I've ever given? Right there. 
Oh, E.T. is e. the most overrated e. movie yes. ever. Yeah, that is Walshian <laughs> to its core, which I respect. I mean. uh, and fourth for me, Amistad. Just fantastic. Yeah, it's a great I, movie, too. I love that I mean, there, there's, movie. There's a slew of movies I, we could have put in here, right? I mean, you're so talking about arguably the greatest film director of all time. That's my four. Yeah. Uh, for me, it's Saving Private Ryan, yeah. Schindler's List, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and Minority Report. Final question. If someone you loved was killed in front of you, but somebody created a copy of them, Adam for Adam, would they be the same person, and would you love them just as much? Ugh, I hate these questions. Uh, no, just wow. a Pandora's box of wickedness and evil is always behind these questions. I mean, there's people that, who's think their dogs are children and they instead of buying a new dog they want the exact this is this is madness i i i know how pet cemetery ends so <laughs> i'm gonna pass right tell me where this has ever this that question out well there's only one answer to that question after what you just did in yeah. theology thursday right yeah i just no i don't and the other reason I would reject it, at least, well, the reason I hope that I would, is this is, it's essentially saying that the main purpose of their life was to be a to collection you. of naturalistic atoms. That's to pleasure you. Was to, was to pleasure me in some yeah. way. Yeah. Yeah. That that was really the, the, the most meaningful thing in their life was their association with me or my association with them in some way. Right. And so, no, I, I, I hope I would pass hard. You know, like I just saw Trump saying when he came out with a new list of Supreme Court justices. Really? I mean, the people All were that, saved. If the people, if, if it comes from the same people who gave you Kavanaugh and Gorsuch, I'm going to hard pass on that. And I hope that I would hard pass on this. I hope that I would. But grief makes us do, grief makes us, makes cowards of us all, Right. So I, I hope that I would pass. I hope that I would. Um, yeah, so this is a, a version. What is it? Uh, the Ship of Theseus, uh, I think is what it is. Uh, this is a version of, of, of that, but it's, it's different with the human. So the answer, of course, is hell no, because it's just assuming that we're just a, a series of atoms in a particular order in a particular way. Um, so that's, that's why I would say no. Uh, yeah, Ship of Theseus. If a ship was stripped down piece by piece and then rebuilt by with different pieces that looked exactly the same, is it the same ship? Mm-hmm. We'll, I mean, that's a different question. But uh, yeah, with the human, absolutely not. That's it for three questions. So be honest. Did you go through the quarantine 15 with the lockdowns? If you did, the good news is summer is just around the corner. The warmer weather is here. So how about rebooting? your resolve to get healthy and lose weight this year. With Dr. Developed Riduzone, it's an excellent way to curb cravings for those foods that derail your discipline. Backed by two U.S. patents, Riduzone is the only FDA-accepted product that includes OEA. It is a naturally occurring molecule, comes right out of your own body, that helps you to feel full faster while burning stored fat so that you can reduce your calorie intake. All right, so Riduzone makes it easier to resist those cravings. Hey, you, you, you were disciplined all day, and then you, you ran for the Hershey Kisses at midnight. Bad move. You'd have been better off having a few of those at noon and not at midnight. Or you decided at noon, I'm, I'm just going to have a few Hershey Kisses and you had the bag. Okay? Riduzone is designed to help you with stuff like that because often it's not what you're eating but how much and when. 
So if you want to give Riduzone a shot, you can only get it on their website, riduzone.com. That's R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E for riduzone.com. And if you go there today and use the promo code Steve, you can save up to 65% on your order with free shipping thrown in too. So save up to 65% plus free shipping on your order at riduzone.com. What's coming up in the overtime today, Aaron? I know you picked the topic today, so what is it? So yeah, one of our listeners actually sent this uh, to me, and it's a, a piece that Variety did. And, and Variety is known, of course, Variety Magazine is known as a, a bastion of conservative, or at least independent thought, as sure. we all know. absolutely. You bet. So, uh, Gone with the Wind, we did a version of this last week. Gone with the Wind has been pulled out of, I believe, HBO's library right now until they can affix a warning label to it about uh, some more of the context from which that film is... Mm-hmm depicting uh because we really need that even though you know the south is crushed and yeah in that in that film. but we won't talk fire we yes. won't talk about that anyway variety came out with a list of the uh top 10 most <clears throat> problematic films that could use warning labels i'm actually going to there's only a i think uh most of the lists you'll you'll know what the movie and probably seen the movie but i'm just going to say the movie and then i want you and todd to guess what could possibly need or warrant a warning label on those movies? And uh, hopefully zany hijinks will ensue. Okay. We'll get into that today. For those of you that are Blaze TV subscribers, blazetv.com slash days is where it will be posted later today when we get done uh, taping it and uploading it. If you're not yet a Blaze TV subscriber, that's also where you can go to subscribe and get a discounted subscription to Blaze TV today. blazetv.com slash days. All right. Any final thoughts, Todd? Don't get caught in a ditch. I have to take errands because the, the, all there are are ditches. It's like we're like an early Atari game, like now a Frogger. That's like civilization right now. Just about to get splatted on every side. Yeah, I, I think my big takeaway today, we, we are, I mean, it, it can feel very lonely sometimes, like you are just out there kind of blowing around in the wind. You mm-hmm. don't know what institutions, what people to trust. And I think this conversation that we had in Theology Thursday about what makes a true disciple, um, at the end of the day, and this is for, I mean, this was addressed specifically for, I believe, false teachers, but at the end of the day, when you're looking at groups and you're looking at the people that make up those groups, and I think of Black Lives Matter, a lot of churches and church leaders are hitching their caboose to Black Lives Matter right now. If you want to attach the name of Christ, and you're doing that if you claim the name of Christ yourself. If you want to attach the name of Christ to any organization like that, look at the fruit. What fruit are the organizations like that and the members that make them up? What are they producing? That's where that's where at least you can have some discernment and sorting out through this ridiculously crazy year and crazy world that we live in. Well said. We will be back at it again tomorrow on noon to 2 Eastern right after Glenn Beck on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. Until then, John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.